there were uh, three older ladies and they were kind of discussing the trials of getting older, especially when it came to their memory. And one of them said, you know, sometimes I catch myself with a jar of mayonnaise in my hand in front of the refrigerator and I can't remember if I'm there to put it away or if I need to make a sandwich. And the second lady chimed in and said, yeah, sometimes I find myself on the landing of the stairs and I can't remember if I was on my way up or on my way down. The third one responded, well, I'm really sorry for the two of you. I'm glad I don't have that problem. You know, knock on wood, wraps her knuckles on tables. And then she said, that must be the door. I'll be right back. <laughs> right. Um, I want to I wanna ask you kind of as we get started uh, this morning, what are some of your favorite memories? The memories that make you uh, n- nostalgic. We, we have a, a couple kids in the room and maybe for them it would be like when your family went to Disney or, or some major theme park or a vacation or, or something like that. Maybe for those of you that are older, it was your marriage day or the day you brought your kids home or the day you decided to follow Jesus, the day you started your dream job, that there are these things that are just kind of seared in your memory. And they raise up these feelings of nostalgia and their sights and sounds and smells that accompany that day that just are, are in your remembrance. It's easy for you to remember them. And Jesus today is going to teach us about the power of remembrance. And uh, we're going to end this sermon uh, like we always do, uh, receiving uh, communion, but he wants us to remember. He wants us to remember his story. He wants us to remember what's really important. And where uh, we're going to start is that on, on the night Jesus went to the cross, uh, before he went to the cross, he was sharing with his disciples uh, a Passover meal. Uh, and the Passover meal was designed to remember a story. It was designed to remember the story of when God freed his people from slavery in Egypt. And uh, what would happen in the family meal, in the Passover meal, is that you and your family and friends would gather and you would share in these four cups uh, at at different parts of of the meal. And it was to remember this story from the book of Exodus where God freed his people from slavery and that each cup represented a different promise that God had made to his people in Exodus chapter six. And here's, the, here's what the passage says. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord your God, and I will bring you out from under the oak, a yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. And so what you see in Exodus 6, verse 6, are these four promises that God made. And Passover became a celebration of how God kept every one of those promises. And this is what Jesus was remembering and what Jesus was walking his disciples through the night before he went to the cross. So here's promise number one. Cup number one is I will bring you out. This signified the day that God finally had enough. Right? Egypt, they were terrible slave masters. They, they would work people to the bone, and if their back gave out, or if they just couldn't do the work anymore, uh, Egypt was kind of known for killing the slaves. And so this first cup signified the moment that God looked down, and he saw his people in slavery, and he said, enough! And he raises up Moses, and he takes action to free his people. Promise number two, cup number two, is I will free you from being slaves. That after years of living in slavery, after years of living in Egypt, God's people were going to exit Egypt, the exodus. They were going to exit Egypt and they were going to be free. Free to worship, free to live. And you can imagine how the idea of freedom sounded to people that had been enslaved for so long. So he said, I will free you from being slaves. Promise number three, I will bring you out with with a mighty act 
of judgment. This is a promise about how God was going to free his people from their, their slavery, that he was going to bring about an act of judgment. He was going to send plagues. Some of you remember this story. Nasty ones, right? Flies, gnats, stuff like that. We're getting ready to have a cicada season, right? So I should preach this sermon in about a month, <laughs> right? All the cicadas around. That, that, there, there were these plagues, and the final plague was the plague of the firstborn. And remember how God said to, to, what God said to Israel to address this. Say, I want you to kill a lamb. And I want you to put the blood of that lamb on the doorframe of your house. And if you do that, you would be spared the plague of the firstborn. It was called the Passover because God's judgment on the people would pass over them if they rub that, the blood of that lamb on the doorframe of their house. Promise number four, I will take you as my own people and be your God. This last cup, cup number four, is the cup of thanksgiving. That as a result of what God has said, as a result of what God has, has done, he says, you will be my people and I will be your God. You're going to leave Egypt. You're going to go into the wilderness. Eventually, you're going to enter into the promised land with me. That we are going together. This is a marriage imagery that you are my bride. I am the groom. We are in this thing together. And every Passover uh, since then, Family and friends have gathered together and they've shared in these four cups. These four cups of remembrance. And like I said, this is what Jesus was doing on the night before he went to the cross. And here's how Paul later describes what happens. He says, what I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, uh, at, at supper time, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What I think Jesus is saying here is that all those promises that you've been celebrating for all these years since the Exodus, I'm gonna do a new thing, but I'm gonna keep the same promises. And Jesus says each of these cups that he was celebrating with his disciples, each of these cups represents a promise that Jesus is making to you this Memorial Day and every day, honestly, but a promise he is making to you and a promise that he is making to me. That it became, instead of about an exodus, it became about a cross. It became about what Jesus did. But he says, I want you to remember these four promises I want you to remember these four cups, these promises that I'm making to you as I get ready to go to the cross and later resurrect, these are the promises I'm making to you. Promise number one, I will bring you out. It signifies this moment in history when God saw his people in slavery. God saw what sin was doing to his children. And there came a point in history where he had enough, enough of the mistreatment, enough of the slavery. And Jesus, I don't know how this, how this cup kind of played out, but I see God kind of turning to the sun and maybe just saying simple like it's time or a head nod or a wink or whatever the case may be. And he said, it is time. And Jesus in great faithfulness became a baby in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth and later he would become our sacrifice. Promise number one is I will bring you out. Promise number two, I will bring you out of slavery. That the sin that binds you the sin that holds you in chains, the sin that separates you from God in this life and the next. Cup number two reminds us that he brings us out of that. The sin that's enslaved your family for generations, the generational sin that has gripped your hearts and your minds, it has been defeated in Christ Jesus. And so because of cup number two, you are no longer identified by your sin. 
You are no longer identified by your mistakes. You are identified as a son or a daughter of God. You have been adopted into his family. How is that possible? Promise number three, cup number three. I will bring you out. The way I will bring you out is through an act of judgment. And what Jesus knew that his followers did not know is that he was about to go to an entire generation's symbol of judgment. The cross. Judgment that the Bible says should have been for you and judgment that should have been for me. Jesus received it on our behalf. I read this text to you at Easter, but I want to read it again because I think it's important for us to kind of marinate in this moment of the cross. And Matthew has one of, I think, the best descriptions of this moment. Here's what he says. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus in the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. They knelt in front of him and they mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him. They took the staff and struck him in the head again and again. And after that, they mocked him and took off the robe and put his own, uh, and put his own clothes on him. And then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. And after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. And after his head, they, uh, at, above his head, they placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Two rebels were also crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and raise it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law and elders mocked him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down off the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants to. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were there cru crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some others were standing there, heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. And immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes and saves him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The cost of it is death. In the Old Testament, that lamb could take your place, become your substitute, and the judgment would pass over you. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ becomes the lamb. And he went to the best known act of judgment there was in his time, the cross. And he paid for your sins and he paid for mine. So judgment, the judgment of God can pass over us. We can be forgiven. We can be set free. We can be released. An act of judgment became the symbol of our salvation. Here's cup number four, promise number four. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. This is why, this cup explains why Jesus did what he did to make us right with, with, make us right with God in this life and the next. And here's what that means. God is not just God. He's not just God. God is your God. 
God is my God. We are his people, that he invites us into a relationship so we are free to pray to him and worship him and follow him. And the other side of that is this, God is with us all the time because there's a relationship. So every day, he's not just beside us, he resides in us through the spirit in our hearts and our minds, encouraging us convicting us, empowering us, gifting us, changing us, giving us new hearts and new minds, and it's absolutely amazing. So today we partake in a Passover feast. Not the Old Testament one, the New Testament one. We call it communion, and if you're new to Northwest, you've probably noticed that we do it every single week here because every week we want to remember We want to remember Jesus and and what he came to do and what he came to be through his death, his burial, and and his resurrection. We want to remember these four promises that he made to us, and so we remember. And what you need to know is this kind of communion feast that we're going to partake in, I know it's just a little bit of juice and a little bit of bread, but you need to know it is celebrated by Christians all over the world uh, on, on weekends. Uh, 2,000 years ago, Christians all over the, over the planet, 2,000 years ago, gathered together and observed communion to remember. And over time and throughout history, it has served the church well to remember. When the church first started, uh, not ours, but the, the church, when it first started, Peter got up and he preached the first sermon. And if you go back to Acts chapter 2, Acts 1 and 2, and read the sermon, it is not a feel-good sermon. <laughs> right? As a matter of fact, the title of the sermon, I've kind of joked with you before, be like, hey, crowd, you just killed Jesus. The blameless son of God, you just, you just killed Jesus. And his sin, uh, his death is kind of on uh, your, your hands. And so the people hear the sermon, and it is a hard-hitting sermon about you, you crucified the son of God. He was perfect, and you crucified him. And at the end of the sermon, people respond with like, what should we do? Right? You've just accused us. What, what should we do to be saved? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will be, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, please, church, remember cup three. Because of Jesus, you're not under condemnation for what just happened a few days ago. You're not under condemnation. You're under grace, crowd. Your sins are paid for. A short time later, the early church faced terrible persecution. It sent Christians all over the land, this this persecution did. And I wonder if in some of their gatherings, as they were observing communion, I wonder if sometimes they kind of turned to each other and said, man, in the middle of this persecution, let's not ever forget cup four. That we may be condemned by our culture, but we are children of God. And he is with us. He is empowering us. He is helping us. We, uh, cup four promises us this. We are not alone. We are his kids. A short time later, uh, there was a church persecutor named Saul. And Jesus kind of showed up to Saul while he was on his way to persecute the church. And, And Saul gave his life to Christ. Well, you might imagine that it was hard for the church to accept Saul preaching to them. He had just killed their family members. He had just persecuted their families, and now they're supposed to listen to a sermon? Right? Put yourself in that position. I don't want to hear a sermon from this guy. Right? He he just persecuted my mom, or he persecuted my dad, and now I'm supposed to listen to him. And I wonder if some of their church meetings, I don't know, but I wonder if in some of their church meetings they turned to each other and said, we got to remember Cups 1 and 2. He calls us out of our slavery, Why can't he call Saul out of his slavery? 
He called us out of ours. Why can't he call Saul out of his? And I wonder if sometimes in this day and age, it's easy to talk about stuff like that, but I wonder if there are these moments when we need to remember the cups as well. When we face a pandemic, I wonder if sometimes we just need to turn to each other and say, hey, 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 I know it's rough, but remember cup four, that he is our God and he is with us and he will be with us in our death and he will be with us in our life when we face difficult moments and he will be with us in resurrection. I wonder if when our, we observe that our world's so divided politically, I wonder if every once in a while we just need to turn to each other and say, hey, 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 in this divided world, remember cup three, that he has died for my sins so that I can be forgiven, but he has died for the people around me as well. Republican, don't forget, he died for the Democrat. Democrat, don't forget, he died for the Republican. He died for people I politically disagree with. He loves them and he cares about them. He died for them. And so cup three reminds me that I love them too. When we face our sin and we face the patterns of sin that have gripped our family for generations, I wonder if every once in a while we just need to look in the mirror and say, no, cup one and two. That he's called us out of slavery. And we are no longer slaves to sin. I don't care how many people in your family line have struggled with the same thing. He has called us out of our slavery. And we are not identified by that sin. We are identified as sons and daughters of God. So we can overcome. Because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And so we are no longer slaves to sin. We are sons and daughters of Christ Jesus. And he has promised to forgive us and be with us and rescue us, remembering, I know this seems like a little short moment in our service, remembering is important. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice, his death, burial, and his resurrection. And as we're remembering these four cups, may we never forget what you did. May we never forget what you accomplished. May we walk in the truth of it every single day and may it affect the way we treat the people we care about, the way we treat the people that we disagree with. May it forever change the way we interact in this world. May it forever change everything. It is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ephesians 2, four through nine. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Romans 3, 20 through 24. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's the one thing we all have in common. 
and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 5.10, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered for a little while will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. 2 Corinthians 1.12, now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in this world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom but, on, but by God's grace. And lastly, Titus 2. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Remembering is important. So let's remember together. His body given for you. His blood poured out for you. May we leave this place in remembering, remembering that he came for us, he died for us, he resurrected to forgive our sins, but also to love and forgive the sins of every person you interact with over this Memorial Day weekend. So it changes the way we treat them. It changes the way we love them. These four cups change everything. We need to remember Let's never forget what he did for us. 